Welcome to the Retirement Guide Podcast. I'm your host, George Jameson, owner of Capital Wealth Group, a flat fee-only advisory firm. Whether you're nearing retirement or already retired, join me each week as we explore the world of retirement planning and equip you with the knowledge and tools you need for a successful retirement. So let's get started. Welcome back. Today marks part three in our series on how to plan for taxes and retirement. We'll dive into a little-known yet crucial strategy called asset location, which can save you thousands in retirement taxes. It's not just about how much you save, but where you save it. Afterward, we'll discuss donor-advised funds, followed by a recap of some of the main tax strategies in retirement that we covered over the last three episodes. So everyone is probably familiar with asset allocation. Some of the most common allocations for those nearing or in retirement are 40% stocks and 60% bonds, 50-50 stocks to bonds, and 60-40 stocks to bonds. However, we also observe some individuals opting for more conservative approaches, while others opt for higher percentages in stocks. Yet, just as important and often overlooked is asset location or investment location. First, what is asset location? Asset location, not to be confused with asset allocation, involves placing more tax-efficient assets in taxable accounts and less tax-efficient assets in pre-tax accounts like IRAs and 401ks. Additionally, putting more growth-oriented investments in Roth accounts is also part of the strategy. A typical asset allocation that we see from most new clients that come to us is based on risk tolerance, needs, and time horizon. Each account they own is allocated the same, whether it's in a taxable account, an IRA, or a Roth IRA. However, this allocation often neglects the critical consideration of asset location. For example, let's say you have a million-dollar household portfolio with a 60-40 split between stocks and bonds. This allocation is the same across your IRA, taxable account, and Roth IRA. This example does not consider asset location at all. In their taxable account, they have 40% in taxable bonds, which is the same in their IRA and Roth IRA. And often I see actively managed mutual funds in taxable accounts. Active mutual funds will often distribute capital gains to the investors, which will cause you to pay unnecessary taxes, even if you do not sell anything. So let's look at a second example. You have the same $1 million household portfolio with the same overall allocation of 60-40 stocks to bonds. When you apply asset location, the household remains the same, but the allocation in each account changes to make your investments more tax efficient. In this example, the taxable account has mostly passive stock ETFs and a small portion in muni bond ETFs. Note, they could even have a small percentage in taxable bonds, depending on your current tax rate. In the IRA, there are more taxable bonds that produce interest and are less tax efficient, making this much more tax efficient overall. In general, utilizing such a strategy can allow you to benefit from lower current and future taxes. The most tax-efficient asset location would be to put all growth stocks in taxable accounts and all taxable bonds in IRAs. 
However, we often recommend periodic rebalancing back to your target asset allocation. To do so, you will need some stocks in IRAs and some bonds in taxable accounts. Keep in mind, we are talking about someone with an overall 60-40 allocation. If your allocation is 50-50 or 40-60 or something else, it would obviously be different. However, do not let the tax tail wag the dog. As you get closer to retirement, it is most important to align your portfolio to the cash flow needs you may have. In general, if it makes more sense for you to start taking distributions from your taxable account first, you may need more bonds and safe assets in your taxable account so as not to risk your retirement paycheck. Another option would be to have a separate account with one to three years of income so that you do not have to take distributions from stocks or long-term bonds when they are down. Keep in mind, cash flow needs trump efficient asset location and makes for easier rebalancing. And lastly, we're going to talk about donor-advised funds. A donor-advised fund, or DAF, is like a charitable investment account for the sole purpose of supporting charitable organizations you care about. They are designed exclusively to invest, grow, and give assets to charities for meaningful and lasting impact. They are very easy to set up and fund. We use Schwab Charitable as our DAF provider, but Fidelity and Vanguard offer them as well. There are a few other lesser-known DF providers, too. They all do have a small fee based on the account value. The big three providers all have about the same fees, and you can use low-cost ETFs as investments. You can manage it yourself or have an advisor manage it for you. I manage DAFs for free for my clients. I feel like it's a way for me to give a little back, and I don't want to take money that could otherwise go to charity. Here's how it works. You donate assets into a DAF account and recommend how those assets should be invested. Your contribution is tax-deductible up front, and the assets in the accounts grow tax-free. When you're ready, recommend a grant to a charity you care about and they take care of the rest. DAFs are the most convenient and tax-efficient way to give back to multiple charities. These are also great ways to leave a legacy and teach your children and grandchildren about the importance of giving to causes you and your family care about, whether it be your church, helping feed the hungry, protecting wildlife, or some other charity or causes, or multiple causes. If DAFs make sense for you, Getting your whole family involved, including kids and grandkids, can be a great way to teach your kids about the importance of helping others, investing, and the different causes and charities that are important to them. Even if it's just a small gift, let your kids have control and responsibility. In addition to feeling part of the philanthropy, kids learn valuable skills from how to read an annual report to how to set disbursement policies. I will dedicate a whole episode to donor-advised funds in the near future. So in summary, here's a recap of some of the most important ideas to help reduce your overall taxes in retirement. So number one, in general, use asset location without compromising your distribution strategy. Asset location means placing a higher percentage of tax-efficient assets, such as stocks and stock ETFs, as well as municipal bonds and taxable accounts. 
and a higher percentage of less efficient assets, such as taxable bonds and REITs, in IRAs. And for Roth IRAs, it usually makes sense to have more growth stocks and growth stock ETFs, as long as your overall asset allocation remains the same. However, please note that this can cause complexity, and if taken to extremes, makes rebalancing difficult. Overall, utilizing such a strategy can allow you to benefit from lower current and future taxes. And number two, tax-lost harvesting in taxable accounts is another great way to keep your overall income and taxes low. This involves selling investments that have declined in value to realize the losses and offset the gains. Then immediately buy back a similar but not the same investment to avoid the wash sale rule. You can use this strategy against ordinary income to offset other capital gains and for future years adjusted gross income. You can carry forward up to $3,000 per year. And number three, use Roth conversions during low tax years. This is especially important to look at and analyze during the beginning of retirement when your income is often low. You'll want to weigh the pros and cons regarding health care tax credits if retiring before age 65 and IRMA thresholds after age 65. And if you know you will not use all of your IRA in your lifetime, doing Roth conversions so your heirs will receive tax-free inheritance could also make sense. And number four, take IRA withdrawals during low tax years, especially if you have a substantial amount, like a million dollars or more in pre-tax accounts like IRAs and 401ks. And number five, health care tax credit. If you're retiring before age 65 and need to buy health insurance, Try and keep your MAGI income low enough to qualify for subsidies. And number six, finally, you should create a distribution and income plan. This will help you decide which account to draw from in which years and what sequence makes the most sense for you. Each year, you should refine the plan based on current year's gains and losses, estimated tax projections, and tax law changes. In addition, you should create a year-by-year tax projection and a longer tax projection to help make smart decisions. The primary goal of all of this is to produce reliable cash flow in retirement in the most tax-efficient manner possible, so you can keep more of your hard-earned money. And that wraps up today's episode. Hope everyone has a great day and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Retirement Guide. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a five-star review to help others discover the show questions, ideas, or discuss your retirement plan, reach out to me, George Jameson, Capital Wealth Group. Visit our website at capitalwealthplan.com to learn more. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more insightful retirement planning in future episodes. And now for the disclaimer. The information discussed in this podcast is for general explanations and education only. It is not tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on any information heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you and have a great day. 